So uh, basically, some thoughts and insights on parenting. And uh, parenting um, cannot be discussed unless we speak about the parents, because they are the matrix in which a child comes. And one of the basic problems of many of these uh, theories on parenting is that they miss out on something much more fundamental and crucial which is the backdrop of a child coming into this world and that is about parents and their relationship. Often the lesser said the better but we can touch upon it briefly because uh, there are two kinds of uh, role that a man and woman especially a woman has come to adopt because she is the mother out of whom the child is to come. Uh, over a period of time, one is conventional and the other is functional. The conventional role has been basically of two extreme points of views. One where women are regarded as uh, creatures who must stay indoors and whose task is to look after the needs of the husband and the home. The other extreme is where women are regarded as basically um, objects of pleasure. Both are very, you know, uh, we need not say are not just extreme views but not the right views and they are going to go away with the passage of time. They came up as some kind of an aberration um, during the dark ages as they say. Because whether we take to the ancient Indian thought or we go to the future which is yet to come, this is not the kind of relationship which should be there between man and women. And one of the first things that we need to understand is that men and women are basically, spiritually, essentially equal. This is what uh, the mother has taught in Vishyar Vindu Ashram when she was uh, asked about these things, he said, why can't you forget that you are a man and a woman? Why can't you remember that we are each a soul on our own journey? And these are the, uh, almost similar words in which Swami Vivekananda has spoken when he was asked about this issue. So a fundamental thing to remember is that this sense of superiority, this sense of pride, arrogance, all dependency, this has nothing to do with the true nature of man-woman relationship. It has just been accepted or thrust upon uh, women by convention and accepted by them over a period of time. It is not the true essence of a man and a woman. Uh, so the true essence, uh, if we, the basis is basically the Indian thought but I guess it's the same everywhere, is that woman is Shakti, this is how she is regarded and a Shakti she is power at all levels and that's where probably the functional differences come. She is a power of detailed organization. She is a power of love. She is a power of harmony. She is a power of beauty. But what has been missing in the this come in, in a previous cycle and which is going to come in the future which uh, Swami Vivekananda has mentioned and Sri Aurobindo has also said she must also become a power of knowledge because this is an area which somehow for various reasons uh, woman has neglected because she has taken to other kinds of power 
she is a power as we know of uh, execution and detailed organization and she is a power of love and beauty and we all know that and she can also be um, a power that can build or destroy a whole world you know she is uh, not only the homebound uh, woman who has been portrayed in popular soap and uh, cinema but she is the Kali Dharanchandi whose uh, wrath can be as dangerous her fiery mood can be as dangerous as her power of love and beauty. So this is the basic backdrop in which uh, we have to understand the man-woman relationship against which a child has to come, this is the backdrop. In Indian thought there is a very beautiful symbol and the symbol is when a uh, man and a woman get married, uh, there is, uh, they go seven times around the fire and three times um, the man is in front and four times the woman is in front, maybe vice versa, doesn't really matter. The spirit is, as the mother brings out in one of her writings, that man and woman must walk hand in hand along the same path at the same pace. So they must respect each other's pace and they must walk along the same path towards their upward cycle and at the center there is the fire of aspiration. So when at the center, instead of this fire of aspiration, there is either the man or the woman or worse still, mother-in-law or the father-in-law, <laughs> problems are going to come because, you know, it's the seat of fire. So they say that, you know, don't try to sit in the Devasthan or the seat of fire because you'll burn. It's just not possible. If you put something which is meant, not meant there, so whoever tries to place himself in the center of a relationship, especially a relationship which is as... Uh, intimate and as interwoven on so many layers as a man-woman relationship, it's going to create problems. So at the center is not the masculine ego or the feminine ego, uh, but it's the seat of fire, the fire of aspiration, which in human consciousness takes the form of a fire of ideal, because not everybody is awakened to the fire of aspiration, but its mental reflection is an ideal. Human beings can at least accept a central ideal. So ideal is something very secular, it can be applied anywhere and uh, for a lasting and enduring relationship which is the best climate for a child to come, there must be a common meeting point and that common meeting point should be in the very depths of the being or the apex. So that usually in the human consciousness should take the form of an ideal. Now this, uh, the, the, the lower the ideal uh, you know, if at all we can use the word ideal, the the child which is going to come is it's like you know we are literally rolling in the mud and wanting a child to come there. So, and whereas the higher the ideal and the deeper the ideal, uh, the best kind of souls are attracted to that. So, childbirth is not just about forming a body. It's um, uh, it's a very occult knowledge, and the mother has brought it out once again, and she says that. Uh, souls are attracted so they all how are they attracted not by you know name and surname or you know <laughs> the kind of house you have or how much wealth one has all that is a unfortunate uh, you know later on encumbrance but they are attracted by a subtle light it's like a psychic um, essence which sees a little light somewhere and then it plunges towards that and she says there can be accidents because when things enter into the earth atmosphere, many things can go wrong. 
but of that we will speak a little later. But essentially the task of a man and a woman is to nurture that ideal within them and help each other grow towards it and thereby to bring a child who would basically a, a, a atmosphere and a milieu is created or a matrix is created in which the child can launch on his own unique journey. So this is the basic background of parenting uh, in which one has to bring down a child or call for a child. <coughs> Again here, um, one of the not views of parenting but uh, unfortunately this is a uh, way of looking at life uh, that very often parenting is regarded or let's say having a child is regarded as the result of a biological act and uh, any action is at once biological, psychological and spiritual. There is not a single action in which we can dissociate these three levels. One can have predominantly one or predominantly another. So even the act of bringing a child which is called as conception but in Indian thought there is a very beautiful term for it. In fact before a child is born there is a proper garbhadhanam sanskar. You know it's basically that when a woman enters into that uh, state when she can conceive, there is an invocation to the gods. So, um, if we really read um, even a, um, uh, you know, a book, uh, very often people misquote it or misrepresent it, something like the Kama Sutra. So, it, you know, uh, how a man and woman have to come together. There is a lot of emphasis on the background and the actual act is very, very little. If you really read it, it's almost 90-95% is the creation of a beautiful background in which two people meet in the best of states, in the highest of states and that is the best condition to bring down a beautiful being upon earth. So it's not just a biological act, it is uh, as sacred as any other act if one may put the word. I am not talking here of those who take to conscious yoga where you know the whole uh, life has to be very different. But at a human level also instead of the act meaning just purely an animal act where somehow children come into existence, it can be turned into something much more beautiful and uh, much more uh, divine, you know, that's, that's the whole uh, approach. As much it can be uplifted, because the moment of conception itself has a lot to do with uh, the kind of uh, beings we are attracting in the atmosphere. There is a very um, interesting little story and also there is an aside to that story. The story part is that uh, when Ulist Rishi, he is a sage, some of us may have heard his name. Has anyone heard his name just for the sake of curiosity? Ulist Rishi. He is, uh, you know, grandchild of Brahma and he is the father of Ravana. So it's a very interesting, you know. And uh, he is married to an Apsara who is a being of the midworlds. They are neither good nor bad, they are fine beings basically. And uh, there is a moment when this Apsara, this, his wife wants to have a relationship with him. And he says this is not the right time. A being will come out at this point of time, will embody the you know very dark and very vile consciousness. Well, nevertheless he exceeds and succumbs and uh, well, uh, Ravana is the result. And the next time it happens and the third time they decide that let's really do it in the right way and the result is Vibhishna. 
Now, what is that right time and the wrong time? It is said that during early morning hours and during late evenings, there is a great stillness in the atmosphere and all of us can feel it actually. It's a very meditative uh, mood during that phase. And it is said that during that moment, Shiva takes the round of the universe. And you have to respect that. It's a moment of silence. It's a moment of inner peace. It's a moment when we must gather ourselves. And least of all, it's a moment when we can throw ourselves into all kinds of, uh, you know, activities which are very, very outgoing. And uh, so these are moments to be respected and especially certain moments, especially the late evening when there is a stillness in the atmosphere, is not a moment which is very conducive to, to a very beautiful child to be attracted. Uh, it's a moment when one must just remain quiet and remain silent. So there is a lot of emphasis on the moment, there is an emphasis also on the state of consciousness. So as is our state of consciousness, we pass it on to the child. In fact, mother says something very interesting that there are parents who are very fine and you know sometimes their children are very absolutely, uh, they go straight. And he says it is very unfortunate that many times parents pass their shadows to the child. They don't even realize it because it's there inside and at a point of time the shadow is very prominent and they pass it on to the, shine, uh, to the child. And one such passing of the shadow is to pass on one's unfulfilled ambitions to the child. It's not even regarded as a shadow but it's very much a shadow because uh, what we have done is we have tried to create a carbon copy or a shadow image of the worst inside. And uh, the least damage it does, the least, is that the child doesn't live his own life because you know he's always trying to live somebody else's life, fulfill somebody else's life. So right from that moment, uh, this whole idea that I must have a child so that when I'm old, somebody will look after me and my child will be, you know, uh, carry on the, uh, the sword of ambition or the torch of ambition of my family burning. All these are obviously ideas which must be set aside if we really want to even contemplate on what true parenting should be. Having said that, parenting is much like, um, you know, a farmer, he sows the seed and then, you know, he has to do certain things, he has to prepare the field in which the seed must blossom. So, um, the first thing is to prepare the field. The seed in this case is sown in the case of a child because we take the view that a child is not just a body, he is not just a mind or a conglomeration of any of these things, but essentially a spiritual being who has come upon earth for his further growth. So the field in this case is to prepare the physical body, which is one field, to prepare his character and the mind and to prepare his emotional being and his vital, the life force inside him. This is the field in which that little, um, is the cradle actually, is the first cradle in which the little baby would come. This baby is not the outer baby in an outer cradle, but it is the psychic essence, the spiritual essence, which is there in every human being. And if the field is good, then he is safe and he grows well. So, for each of the field, there is a certain kind of work required. And uh, before we even talk of the work, we need to understand the constitution of the field. So, if we go to the occult dimension of things, uh, any field is constituted of these five elements. We know about these punch tattvas and these five elements are not gross elements. So, fire is not gross fire. But it is the power of light, of sight, of energy, of dynamism, of will. 
so it can take many forms but there is the element of fire inside the space is uh, expansion it is that ether in the matrix of which everything else comes and it is represented in the human being as sound just as fire is represented by sight then you have the earth element that principle which holds things together binds them keeps them tied and united and then you have the principle of water which flows so life flows and you know a child as he grows he must move beyond he must unleash his inner creativity which must you know flow out of him and of course the principle of air that surrounds and provides a milieu to expand so that's the atmosphere so all these five elements have to be prepared you know one has to work upon them we have spoken about the fire and uh, even at the most practical level these five senses to which we relate these five elements are very important when the child is going to come so uh, for instance one must talk to the child it's known right when the baby is in the womb and not just mothers but also the fathers should talk to the child the child should be exposed to beautiful sounds it's um, there was a study done um, in germany long back and uh, this study has been done in other places also where children were exposed to music of course we have these stories in astavakra and uh, and abhimanyu but uh, actually these children who were exposed to music they had a better attuning of the ear to music not that they became great musicians but they had a refinement their ear was already attuned to beautiful sounds so uh, right when the baby is in the womb this study was published almost 30 years back and uh, it was very well captioned as uh, your baby is listening so you know when the baby is in the womb he is listening to everything we think he is not listening after all uh, what does it matter what you speak whether you shout or scream or watch a soap opera but the baby is listening so he is receiving all these things and they even respond many times you will see that in a certain situation the baby actually begins to kick more in certain other situation the baby is quiet it's because the baby responds to all that is happening outside so uh, the sense of sound when the baby is born the sense of sight and the sense of touch are two very immediate instruments through which one communicates a lot of things and it will be a very important instrument right up to a grown up age so through sight we can communicate a lot of inner aspiration and lot of inner fire of idealism to a child uh, through the sense of touch we can communicate a lot of security love uh, understanding and so also you know the atmosphere that surrounds the child that atmosphere needless to say should be an atmosphere of uh, love harmony and peace uh, in fact the first time that a child actually sees the parents quarreling it is like a shock it's uh, it's, it's uh, worse than a bomb actually exploding outside the child has no concept of a bomb but when he sees one of the parent explode it's literally like a bomb his whole world crashes down these are very small things which we don't notice so human beings fight it's very unfortunate because uh, quarrels are part of the food for the lower vital nature and quarrels are because of nothing else but the lower vital uh, as the vital becomes refined quarrels become less and less but since they are part of our nature uh, till we arrive at that kind of perfection the least we can do is to uh, not to have a brazen display you know with the child in the environment and this starts right when the baby is in the womb not to speak of later on the first sight the first smell 
even the smell which is the principle of earth is a very important thing so when a child is born it's uh, you know many of the hospital settings uh, it's a big problem because uh, you know one is surrounded by chloroform and not chloroform nobody uses now but all kinds of anesthetics and deodorants i mean all those things which which for a long time a child will carry and i suspect there is no study like that that one of the reason why children feel very repulsed from a medical setup is that you know <laughs> they are fortunately born in that kind of environment and uh, with all that pain and struggle so it's very important right from the beginning to have a very beautiful uh, uh, atmosphere inside as much as one can when a child is or when a child is coming to earth Uh, the other thing apart from these five elements is formation of the field and that's where parenting has a very special role to play forming the physical field so the body should be healthy it should have very good habits uh, this is a very common knowledge but uh, how to do it is a big question and the big question is uh, reduced basically to one single answer that children pick up what they see in their parents so if our own habits are totally spoiled there is no point in telling a child do this and do that so certain things children pick up and these are habits which if you don't form during childhood it will remain with the child throughout it will be very difficult to undo it much later so these habits have to be started right from childhood and they relate to the physical being so there is nothing much in it like simple things like habits of sleeping habits of eating you know there is a place to sit and eat and you know not Uh, watching the tv so you know parents have to do a lot of work on that then strength and fitness so some kind of a physical exercise even little babies there are exercises for little babies keeping in view that you know their spine is not yet straight so one can go into that and learn and it can be all made into a fun uh, for which children everything is fun so the physical field has to be prepared uh, beautifully and here is something um, the mother says something very interesting she said actually even you can form the physical uh, you can help in the even the physical formation of the child so there is a very interesting tradition that when children, you know mothers are supposed to be surrounded by beautiful pictures of gods and goddesses and uh, they are supposed to look at these gods of course nowadays we have a private mental world so we are hardly looking at things <laughs> we are constantly looking at things <laughs> which crop up inside us but uh, it is true that if we constantly think of uh, a particular form even if we don't have a form we can actually uh, aspire that you know the baby should be beautiful well formed rounded healthy all this can go inside as an aspiration so uh, you know like it is proved now that babies drink anxieties with the mother's milk so if anxiety is then why not hopes and uh, Uh, beautiful aspirations because everything you know can be passed on to the child in fact um, even without the milk because uh, if you see the ancient word santan is the sanskrit word for child it literally means santan the, the word conveys it's an extension of my consciousness and with mothers it's a very physical extension mothers know about the babies right you know even before uh, uh, you know anything happens to the baby physically mothers will know it because it's an extension of their physical consciousness and this cord remains this subtle cord remains with many mothers it remains for almost a lifetime and uh, so he is a santan he is an extension of consciousness so physical field has to be prepared and in that 
it's a whole knowledge of food and exercise and habits uh, and right you know from the uh, baby in the womb the love for uh, you know beauty and order and uh, you know disciplining the physical being it's part of that then there is another field which is the most difficult field which begins to emerge as the baby enters into the second or the fifth year and that is the vital field it's the field of emotions and impulses and this is a very difficult part to work upon and uh, the problem with this field is that most parents adopt the wrong way they try to coerce it they try to coerce it with the power of their mind and it makes things worse because uh, if the mind tries to uh, put a force on the vital there is often a reaction and a revolt so it cannot be worked in this way you know by scolding and pressurizing a child especially because a child you know the mind is not yet developed it's just the vital and if you try to train the vital by the way of the mind it may either lead to one of the two things revolt and reaction or often a hypocrisy and a very you know uh, a, a very narrow and restricted life children can get really scared uh, so how to work upon this field it's a real challenge so uh, there are two things which one has to work upon one is the control of impulses which is very important and there one has to bring in reason by and large or little firmness where necessary surely no punishment surely no shouting and screaming and Or hitting etc. That is out of question. But definitely, uh, a child has to be taught how to uh, control frustration and how to, uh, you know, delay his sense of gratification. Nowadays, there are a lot of studies on emotional education, and they say that the most successful human beings, I mean, even if you really want outer success, are not they who are very brilliant in their mind, but they who can uh, one postpone gratification. and uh, second they have a high frustration tolerance so when a child asks for a toy it's not good to just rush and immediately get the child a toy it's a very simple example or spoil his habits by keep on you know buying chocolates food should never be used as a reward it's the most um, you know disgusting thing to do that look if you remain quiet i'll give you a chocolate uh, it's much better that the child you know is active and uh, disturbing others so called <laughs> than being given a chocolate to remain quiet because food is for health and not for reward imagine a child uh, right throughout his life carries this impression that you know i am basically living to um, <laughs> eat <laughs> and if i have good food at home well that's what life is about because you know right from beginning we have unconsciously sown such seeds and then we reap a harvest so preparing the in the vital field this uh, need to delay gratification now there are certain things where which are perfectly fine which can be given if it is within the means to you know get to the child it's not that we have to specifically frustrate the child's every need but there are certain things which are not possible immediately and the child has to learn that look it's not possible to do it immediately and he may cry initially but when he grows up he will be really happy that my parents Uh, didn't just pick up a toy from the market and immediately gave it to me uh, it's really can spoil the child completely uh, these things should neither be used as a reward nor as a punishment with withholding something and you know giving something like a material object as a reward this uh, sets a very wrong trend in the child the second aspect is um, again you know control of impulses small simple gestures when we sit to eat Uh, very few things which are ingrained uh, at least uh, in almost all cultures it is ingrained but though we have forgotten it 
that when you sit, you don't rush to eat. You know, it's a very small thing. You just remain quiet and invoke the divine. Now, apart from its spiritual benefit, the least it gives is that, look, step back. Don't just, you know, be a glutton that the moment food is there, you just rush to satisfy your appetites. Step back and there's something more than just the appetite and after that you enjoy whatever you want to enjoy. So these are small little things which are very beautiful, which uh, can bring a lot of, um, you know, teach the child in very subtle and simple way how to uh, step back and not be carried away by the impulses. That's very important. And of course, again and again, the parent themselves should be a master or at least must have their own impulses under check. So if parents just flare out at the smallest little thing, uh, then, you know, child is getting a very direct example. Every child worships the parent as the first hero till he is disillusioned in the first outburst of anger against him. Uh, but, you know, uh, this is the very first fundamental step. Then the second is with regard to the vital, it is by bringing refinement. So consciousness that is crude, uh, you know, will invariably uh, be naturally attracted to crude things. It will take to violence, it will take to aggression because that's how it is. So uh, to refine the consciousness, one of the best means is music and the second is the sense of the beauty. So if the surroundings are beautiful with nice flowers, I mean, uh, last few days I have seen couple of homes and they are really so beautiful. It's the best environment for a child to come in. He is naturally sensitive to the sense of the beautiful and actually if we really go deep down all moral, morality and ethics deep down is derived from the sense of the beautiful. If you don't understand what I should do and what I not do, should not do, forget about a moral uh, science book, forget about what is written in the Shastras forget about what people have taught you, just see this action, is it really beautiful action or is it something vulgar? And the answer will be there because most human beings carry that sense of the beautiful inside. So this refinement of taste, even, you know, colors, taste, touch, senses, sounds, so music, etc. and sight. So if a child is surrounded with the sense of the beautiful, his vital will become refined over a period of time. And of course, the third thing about the vital, which is very important, is that he must channelize vital energy. Nowadays, children are coming with abundant vital energy because they are new age children. Uh, I don't subscribe completely to the theory of the indigo children, which you know often uh, came on the website. The indigo children are actually the obverse side. <laughs> you know, they're only restless. But uh, children are also restless because they have too much of vital energy. So if you try to just... Uh, Strictly control it, it doesn't work out and it's not the best way. It should be channelized and one of the best way to channelize it by sports. So I don't know how it works out, you know, in, in uh, many schools outside because they are always pressurized right from childhood about studies, studies, studies. But in the ashram school, a lot of importance is given to physical education and really the one thing which is compulsory is games. <laughs> so it goes to the other extreme. You have no uniform for uh, classroom. But you have uniform for your playground. <laughs> and children just love it, you know. They don't feel like getting back. And apart from channelizing their uh, vital energies, uh, it's also very good because uh, over a period of time, so over a period of time, not only it channelizes, uh, it also sublimates, um, sublimates the energies and turns, uh, you know, even the body into a fit and healthy instrument. By the time they get home, 
they are relatively tired and they, you don't have to tell them that beta, soja, uh, you know, <laughs> you want to watch TV which we don't want you to watch, <laughs> all those hypocrisy things. So we, we just, you know, because children play and they are really tired and um, it's very good, of course, if parents also have the same habit, but very often they don't because uh, we are a spoiled generation. But we can, the least we can do is not to spoil these little children. And we should, of course, reorient ourselves. That's the best way. Because if we have wrong habits of sleep and eat, then children just get it very instinctively. So this is the vital field. And then, of course, there is the field of uh, the mind, the thoughts, the ideas, the, the character formation, which Mother says you can start right from childhood. And for the mind, and thoughts, especially with regard to children, the best way is stories. And um, there are plenty of stories one can pick and choose. Uh, I have my favorites like Bhagwat and Mahabharata and Ramayana. There are Aesop's, Aesop's fables, not all of them are very good, some of them are fine. Panch Tantra is not good for children. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, some Jataka tales can be fine. Then Arabian Nights are wonderful stories. So in every culture there are a set of stories which are very beautiful. So sometimes we have to pick and choose. We should not just blindly just you know tell the story. And one thing which, which should not be done is to uh, explain away the story. Uh, I'll give you one small example of uh, of a child who unfortunately was told the hare and the tortoise story. And at the end of it he was told slow and steady wins the race. <laughs> Wonderful sounds, uh, though the most unrealistic uh, moral ever given to any child. <laughs> Slow and steady. Well, what race it speaks of is something very different. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, the child asked a very interesting question. So the child asked, why should we win the race? And there was no answer to that, you know, because the teacher didn't know what to say. <laughs> so we should not, you know, tell stories. It may sound very good. So we have to also work upon ourselves to be very clear what is the message that we are conveying. Some of the stories can convey very, very uh, wrong messages like some of the Panch Tantra tales, you know, like uh, enemy of the enemy is a friend. Now it's a very, it may be very good for a political head. It's not a good thing to teach a child that enemy of the enemy is a friend to you. So it teaches him to scheme and, and you know, Panch Tantra context was that, that, you know, uh, he had to make the prince uh, into able kings and they won't study. So that was the context of Panchatantra. So we should not just get blindly any story. And these stories uh, should invite, uh, you know, bringing him the sense of the beautiful, the sense of idealism, the sense of courage. Uh, very important two things that mother has said that children should invariably be taught by example, of course. One is the conviction of truths final victory. It can be done just as a little mantra, satyam, yujyatim, anitam. Forget about seeing everything around you which, which may appear otherwise. But eventually truth will triumph. This is very important. And the second thing she says, always teach the child to discriminate between what is good and what is evil. This is very, very difficult. You know, we grow up in a kind of thought that everything is fine, it doesn't matter. Uh, and we even often quote even spiritual literature like Vedanta that there is eventually no good and evil. That's true, but you know to reach that point you have to pass through a narrow gorge. And if, if uh, this great truth is uh, misunderstood and not received rightly by a mind 
which has grown supple through life's experiences, we do a great harm to the child. It's like telling that, you know, um, remember everything in this world is relative and the motion of the stars is relative and etc, etc. Now when you actually lead your life, you can't go by that. You, you can't go by, for instance, this doctrine that sun is static. When you actually live your life, you say that the sun rises and sets because for your practical understanding it's good. When you have gone into space, then you have to remember this because this becomes the law. So it is very important to understand very often parents, because they are at a particular phase of their life, they try to just indoctrinate a child as if straight away the child is ready for that phase. So children have to go step by step. They are not at that phase. I am talking now of even parents who have arrived at some kind of an inner development. And there is a possibility, there is a state of consciousness in which one can actually see the real relativity of good and evil and transcend it. It's possible. I mean, not many people can do it, but let's say it's possible. And there may be more and more people uh, in the future who would transcend it. Yet you can't give the doctrine to a child who is not ready. For a child, he must know uh, what is, as they say in the Indian thought, dharma and what is a dharma. And that he should not just be told as a set of moral rules. And uh, the mother is given a very simple way. He must learn to himself feel the sense of ease or unease when he does a certain activity. And it can go to any extent. I mean, recently I came to know a very interesting example. Um, just digressing a little, this is a granddaughter of one of the uh, person who came to ashram very young and uh, he was married, he had children, he left everything and came, then the family came and then he had a grand, he had two granddaughters. So one of the granddaughters when she was little baby, as soon as she was born, just a little baby, uh, his, her physical mother um, took the child to the mother and mother said, I want this child. Now, you know, she was completely taken aback. She ran away to Bangalore. So, you know, she said, what is it? <laughs> Mother wants my child. Now, I'll tell you why this is an important aside to the discussion. So, then her grandfather said, look, I mean, the divine himself is asking for that child. What more do you want? So, this child, you know, then she came back and then the child studied in the school. And there's a whole story of the child. Now, then the second child was extremely naughty and would be, you know, wherever the child was, you could spell trouble. So, so much so that the elder sister was used to be very troubled and, you know, uh, parents were very troubled. She was a little Hanuman, if one may use the Indian word. So, many of these children were very, very energetic. We feel worried about them, but they are like little Hanumans. Uh, rightly channelized, their vital energy can be a very precious thing. So, when she was 15, the elder sister, whom mother had kept, she went and said, Mother, you know, I feel so embarrassed when everybody comes and complains about her. So, what do I do? Why don't you call her and you tell her something? <laughs> so, mother said, okay, call her tomorrow. So, she came. So, now mother knows everything, you know, all the background has been fed into her that parents complained, uh, teachers complained, and even this, uh, this elder sister who is so close to mother, even she is complaining. So mother called her and asked one question. Uh, Who is there seated in your heart? So this 15 year old child said, Why mother? Of course you are there in my heart. <laughs> then she, the next sentence he said is, Always follow what your heart tells you. And that's it. 
So you know, mother sent her away after this simple two-sentence two uh, counselling. So this elder sister said, mother, I, I mean all of us told you so many things and at the end of the day, if this is what you had to tell her, we could have also told her this. Mother said, no, it won't work with you. Because it works when you are yourself true to this, when you are convinced about it. It doesn't work when we just say, you know, follow your dream or follow your heart. Very often, if I think that my heart is simply a wishful thinking and desires, etc., then we may actually give to the child a very uh, wrong path. But when we have tried to live by it and discovered that, look, this is the seat of truth inside me, as they say, the seat of Agni, then when we say the same thing to a child, you know, it's very important to say something which we are convinced about. We know that famous story of the guru whom uh, someone took a child saying that this child is, you know, addicted to sweets. So will you please tell him to stop it? The, the guru said, come after a week. So after a week when the child went, so guru said, stop eating sweets. <laughs> so parents said, this you could have said one week back. He said, you know, the problem is one week back, I was also very <laughs> So, you know, uh, whatever I said wouldn't have carried any conviction. So it's very important that when we say something, this, we, it should be a living example. It should come out as a living truth which we have lived and experienced. So it's no point telling a child about high philosophy, about divine and you know soul and such stuff if we have not really tried. It's much better to be on ground level and say what we have tried and what you know we are sure of. But we must remember that we need to upgrade our own software. So our software is still you know. Uh, Windows 2007 <laughs> uh, which is running on the mind and reason and it's here that we come to the you know uh, the best part which mother speaks of that uh, nature is now trying to upgrade this software not only in uh, the children but in everyone in fact she says that children born after 1956 and more so after 67 and even more so to aspiring parents are very very special and she says these are the, as you know it is there in Savitri, massive barrier breakers of the world, wrestlers with destiny. So they don't accept the impossible. They turn it into I am possible. This is their way of life. They don't accept the irreparable. You know, they have a natural carefree sense within them, a sense of confidence which children have innately, but with a child to the doctor and you know, uh, eventually the child wonders that what has gone wrong but instead of that we must always keep the innate confidence of a child intact nothing has happened, you'll be fine, just stop crying, be quiet and, um, and bring out the best, you know everything to bring out the best you know there and, and the best is in the very roots of and depths of our being mother gives a very nice example about children of Japan she says you know when a child falls down and cries so what do the mothers say? They whisper something in the ears of the child and he becomes quiet. So what do they whisper? They simply say, are you not a samurai? Oh. Such a beautiful thing, you know. It's like, that's your identity. Your identity is not, uh, you have a certain surname and you belong to that family of uh, rich and wealthy uh, idiots. <laughs> you, you belong to uh, that is your root. What is our root, you know? Our root is well in the divine, in the highest we can conceive of. 
and that highest of course uh, in each uh, race and culture has been given in its own way in japan it's in the concept of samurai in the in in the british world it was the knighthood that they had a certain um, law and they had to follow it in india it was the uh, sense of the aryan which was not at all a race the way it had been projected but a type of psychological type of humanity which was constantly laboring to go beyond itself so that was the sense of the word aryan who would battle with darkness who would battle uh, who would stand for truth for light for for the sense of the beautiful that was the aryan type not you know somebody who would just look at the uh, you know easiest road of escape when confronted with danger that how am i you know uh, my practical sense comes into play that's not what you know so in ancient india it was taught like that in egyptian culture in another way in egyptian culture we have the famous story of cleopatra you know when uh, uh, you know she has to she has decided to take poison so what does she tell to the children she says you know you come from the family of the pharaohs you 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 don't cry you are a prince and uh, if you are like this then what would happen to those whom you are supposed to command so in, in the indian context it was uh, as an aryan not that we have to tell that you are an aryan or this or that but that aspect in whatever way it is like a mantra to a child look i mean uh, you you are a child of truth so you don't uh, cry over these small things and an innate confidence that things will get well it's very important children have it in them but it is spoiled as they grow old the first person who spoils it is the you know parent and then the doctors very often you know and the fears and anxieties you should know that if my body is hurt my body will heal itself what is there you know uh, body has so much power nature has built this human body through billions of years of experiments so we are kind of a very perfected product already we should you know not belittle ourselves after all all these viruses bacillus we have grown through all of them and uh, eventually evolutionary nieces has carried us through all this fortunately without the doctors <laughs> it's a fact we have survived you know without all these tests and so we should not belittle our own capacities that we cannot you know uh, take care of what's happening inside us we are in control and in charge so this is what children should grow up with that uh, there should be a confidence in life and always the sense of the ideal the sense of the beautiful the sense of the good should always be kept in front of them so mother is saying that now a new type is going to come and this type will not be like any other types of humanity even its best type whatever you know the sense of the samurai the aryan these are the highest of the old type of humanity but even this will not be sufficient for the child who is going to and uh, one of the things we find in uh, you know that letter on the mother where she says what is the future type and later on she also speaks about it in uh, one of our essays uh, one of our talks that in previous type of humanity we had something called as swadharma and swabhava which is very important to bring out in a child this is the 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 atmosphere and the ground in which the child develops he should bring out his swabhava and swadharma what is his true soul nature what is it that he is the true turn of his soul which means we have to stop thinking of this or that career this or that you know uh, but he must express what is in his own depths 
But uh, in that, in the ancient Indian thought, you had several types of human layers. So they were seekers after knowledge, they were people who would battle and stand for truth, and they were those who would naturally enter into a law of a wider interchange, uh, those who, would, uh, who were innately uh, moved by the sense of the beautiful and the perfect. But the new type that is going to come, all this is demolished, will embody all these four types. So this is a new creation in which you will at once, every human being will be a seeker or as Shubhita says, an illumined disciple of truth. A warrior uh, for the sake of light and the good and the beautiful. He will have the spontaneous urge for harmony and beauty. And he would be a natural you know, organizer and bringer of perfection uh, at all levels in life. So this is uh, one aspect of the new type and the second the mother has said that the new type will not be governed by reason right now. Reason is the highest. But he will be governed by intuition. Uh, it's not that he will be irrational. It may, he may sound irrational. Because uh, right now the highest is practical reason. So if a child says something outlandish that I want to for instance you know um, um, basically be a chef. So most parents, uh, is that what you want to do? Are you sure? But he enjoys, he enjoys to cook, he enjoys to serve. It's perfectly fine. So the new type will be governed by an innate intuition. This is going to grow more and more in children and the world will favor this type. So if you try to bring in through the practical reason, it's not going to work out and children will defy it. So, you know, now a lot of movies are coming in this um, context. One of them was... Uh, Morning Raga, if uh, some of you have seen it, Mahesh Dattani's uh, movie. It's a beautiful movie, must see for parents. And um, there, there is a very interesting dialogue. The father wants his child to become a, you know, big um, engineer and a, you know, uh, MBA plus IIT, basically. <laughs> to put it in short, and this child is basically interested in music, so he, you know, pursues it. So father, for a long time. Uh, doesn't like him, he doesn't want to meet him. But finally when the child reaches some point and he is holding a concert, so he tells his father, he goes and tells him, he says, I know I am not the child that you would have wanted me to be. But uh, I am what I want myself to be. And the father comes and he is deeply moved when he sees that literally, because what is really success? Success is at the end of the day, if we express our true innate nature that is success. That's the measure of our success. It doesn't matter what our outer vocation is. So this is something which uh, the new type will be governed by intuition and in that he will also find his social law. So he will be wide at the same time he will know how to stand for what is true and beautiful. Both things. In him there will not be that disparity. Often we think of when we think of wideness we think that uh, everything is fine. But this kind of a new type will have both these things simultaneously and he will reconcile them very beautifully inside himself. So his wideness will not be a nebulous kind of a waste paper basket wideness where you tear everything, throw together and you can't make sense of anything. But a wideness which is very catholic, very vast, very large and yet it knows that humanity is being led through a certain path towards a certain evolutionary journey and he must facilitate it. So this is the new time which is going to come in the future and that is why nature has become so restless to break down limits. So more and more as you know we go in for children, these children will be breaking down the fixed limits. 
And mother has said it will be very difficult to bring up these children. Because they are not going to listen to you. So take heart if your child doesn't listen. <laughs> it's a good sign. <laughs> so they don't listen. and uh, But at the same time, uh, there is something in him like a fire. And it's very important to nurture it. The one guiding principle of a child till he grows into or graduates into what we call as a spiritual life. It's not given to everybody, but uh, it's going to become more and more common in the coming decades, if not years, is to hold the fire of idealism. However impractical it may be, that fire should not be extinguished. It's a uh, big tragedy of life that by the time children graduate out of adolescence into adulthood, parents and uh, educational system and everything they have done everything to stamp out this fire and all under one rubric, practical reason. Uh, the only place where this fire has to be extinguished, rather it has to merge, is the higher spiritual consciousness and a soul seeking, not before that. Because if that goes, one is no more a human being, but just a little animal which looks like a man. So that's the very large background. So this is, you know, the spiritual impulse, if there is the right climate, the right atmosphere, then in the right season, there will be a spiritual blossoming of the seed that is inside the human consciousness. But wait for the season. Don't hurry it through. Don't start giving a child all kinds of doctrines <laughs> about spiritual life that, you know, you must sit and meditate. Most likely he will, you know... Uh, just become restless uh, though you know they are beautiful children I mean one example is right there and I am really really amazed I must say <laughs> really amazed uh, you know but uh, more and more children are like that the other day we saw in uh, Vivekji's house you know these children they were sitting through the talks is amazing and spontaneously but don't force them into it don't start prematurely doing something there is a time for everything so that means we need to know the developmental stages of a child and it's a very vast subject, so I'll quickly run through first two years, basically the physical. Two to almost ten or eleven, now, you know, this is being compressed, the vital, different parts of the vital. Um, the, the lower vital, which is full of desires and, you know, strivings and seekings. And then the, uh, that's why during that phase, sometimes children even go through sexual explorations. And many parents get very worried, you know, especially when children are around four or five. But it's just because there is a part of the vital which is expressing itself. Uh, then the emotional part of the vital comes through, so suddenly they have this sense of the family and they like to have a sense of the family and they are very disturbed if the sense of the family is not there. And then it goes on to friends. Then around 10 or 11, the mind begins to develop. That's when reason has to be brought in. And have a lot of debates and discussions with the child. Because that is one way to make the reason plastic and supple. One of the things that mind must be trained to is to become supple and wide and the ability to become silent and the ability to synthesize diverse viewpoints. So if in a house there are debates, don't feel bad about it. It's a wonderful opportunity. Take a position, play with the child. He will say that, you know, you, what you are doing is uh, very bad or something. Doesn't matter. Don't take offense to it. Don't try to say, uh, how dare you say this? You think I am not wise? You know, don't say stuff. Let him grow. Let him debate. Let him challenge you. Let him challenge your authority. He will have, at the end of the day, autonomy and confidence. 
and uh, enjoy it, enjoy the debate. And when all is over, just give a pat on the back, just like my child, you know, I'm so happy that you can look at things from so many points of views. I mean, I'm seeing something which I have really done and it's something, it reaps real rich rewards. Sometimes you can even take up just an issue. If a child has watched a movie, instead of saying, this is bad, why did you do this? Talk to the child. Ask him, you know, one must talk to the child a lot. We don't communicate that, you know, what did you really like about the movie? So how did you find it? Don't immediately say this is uh, bad and this horrible. Take that as a starting point. Uh, you know, supposing the child listens to some of these uh, songs of the 60s, which are um, full of uh, full of an anguish, and uh, they carry in them a touch of even a pessimism in which there is a seeking. And uh, you know, it's it's actually not very good, you know, because children uh, should not become cynics and pessimists before they have seen life. But if you tell them don't you know and all this they don't understand so start with this anguish and bring them about the beauty of the future this is the second thing the mother says apart from teaching them the conviction of truth's final victory teach them that the future is beautiful i mean that movie life is beautiful not no not life is life is beautiful is very nice this is another life can be beautiful so it's not that there have to be problems in life one must always believe that life can just be a beautiful unfolding under the grace. This sense should always come in a child and it should come through a process of organic growth, not an unnatural artificial growth. Unnatural artificial growth is do this, don't do this. Uh, elderly person, you must do, you know, namaskar and pranam. Uh, well, children are going, not going to respect authority in future. They are going to respect authenticity. So if the elderly is authentic, they will learn to relate. If the person is not authentic, they are going to simply say on the face that we don't care. And they are right. So we have to you know, bring it in that way, uh, which is more consistent to the demand of the time spirit. There was a reason why these things came up at one point of time. But now that method is not going to work. So you know, freedom, space, because these children live in a larger consciousness, they need more space and more freedom. And certain things like in, in the past were to keep a child true to the type. So there was very strict regulations about marriage and things like that. This is not going to work because a new type is being created. The old norm is gone. So there is bound to be what we uh, in India call as inter-caste marriage or inter-religious marriage. They are bound to become more and more common. And it's part of the planning of nature. Uh, and we should collaborate with it rather than you know try to hold on to a true to type. The, the reason why people were told not to marry outside was to remain true to type. That was the idea. To you know keep the progeny, uh, a high progeny should remain high progeny. But now that is gone. Even biologically it is not good because after a time uh, the genes begin to become uh, milder and milder. It becomes like a carbon copy. Uh, and the mother gives a very interesting example. You have a purebred dog and you have a street dog. Uh, now, purebred dog is very nice and very good within his home. If he comes onto the street, the street dog will outsmart him because he knows all the ways and he knows how to really work out. Because, you know, he's not grown up in that pure to type thing. So, while we are saying all this, it should be understood that none of these things have to be done in a very rigid way. But they should, the modes of life must be very plastic and uh, very supple and allow for a certain degree of organic growth and not an unnatural stifling into a fixed pattern. 
So even when it is said the sense of the beautiful, uh, if a child doesn't immediately appreciate, it should not be that you know you are bad, you can't you you sit you do this. It's not like that. It is something which has to be inspired, induced, and evoked. Uh, that's how you know the word education is about. Education is to bring out that which is best and to put it uh, for a noble use. So I think there's a very big backdrop. There are many many side issues like disciplining and freedom and all kinds of things. Um, if there are questions, we'll take them up because otherwise it's a never-ending topic. Yes. One would grow old talking about how to bring up a child. <laughs> so I have a question. Yeah. You mentioned about how you know we should be open and flexible to children doing what they want to do in terms of their occupation and uh, employment, which makes absolute sense. But my question is that I wonder if children might use that um, openness of the parents, almost like a leniency, and maybe misuse it to the extent of, then does that mean I don't need to do anything? And I can just, you know, like... Actually, uh, there are two ways of tackling this question. One is that if we have really taken care to see that the child connects to his depths, this problem will not come. Because what we are telling him is not that don't do anything and just enjoy life. So, um, it's good you brought that out because, uh, you know, there are two kinds of worldview and self-view that we can give to the child. So, one worldview and a self-view is that, uh, um, you know, at the base of this world, there is nothing but desire and the principle of enjoyment is the sole truth of life. Now, unwittingly and unfortunately, because parents live in that consciousness, they pass to the child. And if you go to the distinction made in the Gita in the Devasuri Sampada, this is the Asuri Sampada. The world is built by desire. There is nothing in this world but the satisfaction of desire, says the Asuric type. There is nothing like a divine essence inside. So if we live by that truth, I mean, whatever, that falsehood which is our truth, then children very often imbibe it. They feel they have to do nothing because basically they have to enjoy life. So if they can get a quick way to enjoy, for instance, parents have built a lot of uh, wealth and money, they are very happy to get it. Why should they struggle and strive? Now we have given them that worldview unwittingly. In fact, the mother said in Auroville, this is what is the whole principle, uh, that, you know, ideally, one should not be passing on the wealth to the child. It's the best way to corrupt. Parents do it thinking they are doing a very good thing. But it's, they should learn that this is for a right use. So they have to generate whatever they have to do. Now all this problem that they have to do nothing and take parents for a ride is when, you know, one follows this principle that, you know, world is meant for desire and enjoyment and whatever way, you know, my money ultimately is for you. That kind of a stuff can totally corrupt a child. But if we really write from childhood, the child is aware that there is something at the, you know, root of this world as its base and support, which is expressing itself through life, then this problem will not come up. The child has to find his way of expression. That's what has to be brought up. But at another level, the question can be that, look, I mean, this is a very uh, fine audience and everybody is aware. What happens at the larger level? Well, there we have to reconcile with the fact that error is the path of truth. So there will be a generation which will be probably like a, a 
washout generation because it's a transitional phase through which we are passing. So, but the old model has to go, this is for sure. Now, when the old goes and the new has not yet come fully, there is a stage of confusion and during this passage of confusion, it's true that many children can be distracted and led straight. It's true and one sees it happening everywhere, you know, the idea of freedom has been so much misunderstood and, you know, it's led to what extent that uh, feminism, something very beautiful, mother has said that two things which will presage the coming of the new age or which will be the first sign of the new age. One is that women will seek freedom and women liberation. The second is youth unrest. Now you see both are happening but at the same time look at the confusion. What is it that women have to liberate themselves from? <laughs> it's not from, not only let us say from the tyranny of men and society which is true but they are falling prey to the very same things which men are prey to. I mean men are the worst role models. So it's like you liberate yourself and mold yourself along the role model which you want to liberate yourself from. So it's a kind of paradox. Whereas you know there is a true inner liberation and that liberation is the spiritual liberation that you know get free of this ignorance. Why am I so much helplessly dependent on somebody else who must always you know cuddle me and cajole me and caress me and make me feel special. I am strong inside and you know I am Shakti. Why can't I give my heart to this world and give love rather than want it? Now this you know changes the whole idea completely. So on one side we are passing through a stage of transition where there is a lot of confusion. And it's true that in confusion lot of forces step in and vital is the not just individual vital but the universal vital is trying to show uh, not only a shortcut but a distorted picture of reality and it's true that maybe a generation or maybe a two will take that path. But in that, there would be a nucleus of conscious parents like everyone here, the very fact people have taken the pains of coming, I take it that you know it's not something ordinary, this is not a, a big mega event happening somewhere, <laughs> but a little humble uh, ordinary thing happening in a small little home. So there is a sign that there are parents who are beginning to become more and more conscious and they are the hope for the future. And they should trust that if they take the right lead of the time spirit, things won't go wrong. They should trust in the grace and in the destiny that the individual brings. That seed will bring out. Of course, if the seed is bad, you can't do anything about it. But still we can provide the best climate so that best comes out of the worst. That's at least can be done. Four other questions. Yeah. I've heard the answer and I've missed the question. Okay. Oh, my question really was, you know, I was talking earlier in the talk about how, you know, we have to allow children to have freedom, you know, to do what they want to do in the occupation department, which of course is, you know, the absolutely correct thing, right? Yeah. But I said, I wonder after that if it might create in, in some children, you know, a question of uh, lethargy, of like, then do I need to do anything? Do yeah. I need to even work? Maybe like almost like misuse yeah. the parents. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true, and you know that's part of the story. Well, at least uh, here in, in America, at least uh, the biggest pressure on a child to conform does not come so much from parents and family, but from the peers in school, particularly. Uh, where I mean, it's, you know, we're talking of tyranny of society. It's almost like uh, absolutely tyranny of the MTV culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So peer pressure is one of the most. Uh, uh, problematic things in um, uh, 
in societies where you don't have very clear roots because it's it's typical of you know in fact much of literature which has come about peer pressure it's basically a problem which originated here and now it's traveled far and wide and you know it's gone on to the other side of the globe but it's true that it's a problem and that's why children there are three units um from the point of view of collectively collectivity to which uh, everybody is tied in a way and uh, it is through all these three that the one divine consciousness expresses itself so the first unit is the family the second unit is the nation earlier it was the tribe and the clan and the third unit is the entire group and if any of these three units is disturbed there is a problem so there should be a very good bonding with the family through love and in fact they say that first three years are very important for bonding but this bonding should not itself be a tyranny that's the that's the yeah. point it should be a bonding of love so if a child has that sense of bonding with the family i know of children i have dealt with a lot of children uh, adolescent and that's an area where i kind of you may say specializing some of us may not know I'm a psychiatrist by profession, <laughs> not a preacher. <laughs> I'm not a preacher at all. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not a hobby. It is something thrust upon by my own nature, <laughs> impelled by my nature, so dharma. But not as a preacher, but just as you know, part of the work. So uh, the thing is that uh, I've dealt with many children who have gone into drugs and things like that. and i have seen the children who have escaped it are not those who didn't have the peer pressure who at the end of the day felt that my parents trust me and actually you know i am betraying their trust now why this came i do not know but i guess it's the strong bonding which they have and they also trust that if they do something like that they can get back to the parent that is something very important <coughs> so they don't get into these kind of weird experiments they know that so uh, they set the limits from inside it's it's they are from liberal homes they are not told strictly don't do this but they know that if i do this you know i'll really be my parents will give me so much love and uh, i'll be really betraying it so this they introject it is not the voice of the conscience or the soul but they introject the parent inside themselves which is a beautiful side of the parenting the Uh, the other uh, aspect is the national identity it also holds uh, children paradoxically from not being many things which they would otherwise do so that's the concept of the samurai so every nation has its soul shubhendra namadev have said like at one point of time not the france as we find today france had a very rich intellectual and aesthetic culture so a french person was not supposed to do something which is degrading and vulgar in taste he would feel repelled now japan had the sense of the beautiful of course the mother said that you know it is being corrupted and that's another story so an indian again had the sense of you know um, innate spiritual sense uh, a russian had an innate sense of uh, you know the, the the emotional and the mystic sense is very developed in russian and if you really appeal to that and bring that out i mean you know unfortunately communism has done a lot of damage i mean that kind of communism the ugly kind so if every nation can bring out its best its spirit then there would be no problem because there's a second resting point and we don't have to be somebody else and then 
once you are secure at these two level then you know the whole world is one embrace it's not by destroying these that you embrace the world because the divine expresses through all these three in fact the mother says there is a reason why you are born in a certain environment there is a reason why you are born in a certain country it's not a chance so you take in that uh, with the milk and it's important for another level of identity now again i am talking all this within the realm of the highest uh, human to a spiritual transition uh, at a spiritual level it changes but even then it doesn't change in the sense of analyzing because uh, you know lok sangrahat that concept of the gita nabuddhi veda you know don't uh, disturb the evolution in march of humanity or humanity marches to that so i am reminded of this famous sanskrit shloka um, मातृ देव भवा पितृ देव भवा आचार्य देव भवा सो लिटरली इट मीन्स ट्रीट योर मदर एज ए गॉड ट्रीट योर फादर एज ए गॉड एंड ट्रीट योर टीचर एज ए गॉड नाउ दिस इज अ वेरी लोअर काइंड ऑफ अंडरस्टैंड दिस इज ए हायर अंडरस्टैंड मातृ देव भवा ओ मदर बी एज ए गॉड एंड टू द चाइल्ड बिकॉज यू मस्ट रिफ्लेक्ट समथिंग ऑफ द डिवाइन एज मदर इफ द डिवाइन इज मदर हाउ वुड ही डील सो आई मस्ट डील विद माई चाइल्ड लाइफ with the infinite love and care and even an infinite indulgence but not of a wrong kind that's how the divine deals with her children and mother gives an example of the baby cat as you know it would protect at the same time push out to explore then pitru devo bhava father be as a god unto the child and shivinder says with all the infinite patience of a father i mean so nourishing protection at all levels and then acharya devo bhava o teacher be as a god unto the child how does the god how does divine teach he brings out the best inside you through a most natural and organic process he doesn't even make you feel that he is teaching something he makes you feel that it's you but all the time he is guiding us so i guess that's the kind of approach we don't annul the family we don't annul the national identity uh, we don't annul even the sense of humanity as one when we lead to the spiritual but we illumine them so the father and the mother try to become some reflection of that light divine relates with us not just as impersonal uh, consciousness but as father and mother and even at the level of nation each nation has its soul and we must bring that out and of course at the larger level humanity has a purpose and a march it's not just a meaningless grouping of collective ego and fighting with aliens that is the most you know absurd kind of humanitarianism where human beings are one but we can plunder animals and earth and everything else and fight with aliens and destroy them humanity is one because it is shares a common aspiration and that aspiration is for love freedom light beauty perfection so in that spirit we are one so if one has to sacrifice this aspiration for the sake of just humanity being one then we have to be very clear otherwise you know we end up again like terrorist humanity is one but the terrorist is you know killing people mercilessly what do you say at that situation to stop him courage is a greater divine quality and the larger good of humanity is to be seen so in that sense one has to keep these three intact
Everyone, no questions? <laughs> Not, <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not in this session. I have another question. Yeah. 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 I meant also in the talk okay, I mentioned earlier about uh, you know the, the, the birth in a hospital, right? That and it's almost like it's a little traumatic, you know, for children because they're born into these like almost chemically, you know, neutralized smells and shapes and light and you know things like that. Maybe that's why you know, they don't like hospital later on. I know I don't. But um, so what are your thoughts about home birth and birth in the hospital? Ideal. Not only about birth but also about death. Death in a hospital is the worst kind of death. With 10 tubes going through all kinds of, every possible, you know, gap they push it to. And you're full of fear, anxiety on one side. Some relatives are full of fear and anxiety. Others are full of hope that he should die fast. Waiting to, you know, get rid of the Struggle, uh, trouble and struggle of rushing every day. So it's a very horrible way to die. And so also with birth. But since uh, given, you know, you can't reverse the clock back. Mm -hmm. So what we should do is turn these uh, places where children are born into something more beautiful. So that can be done and should be done. Because there is a lot of... Uh, it, it will eventually evolve into something different. But right now it's very difficult because the modern medical understanding has taken such a strong hold on the human consciousness that we have come to just believe in certain scientific dogmas and uh, uh, you know rational dogmas and scientific superstition and orthodoxies of the most modern kind and it's very unfortunate because they have gone so strong you know. You can't just get rid of them. So to tell somebody that you can have a child at home is... And nobody would come. You know, that world is gone. You know, earlier somebody would come and you would... But you can modify it now like, you know, if when the child is being born... I don't know how it works here, but in India it works very well. You can tell them that I want to play certain music. Except, you know, like people who put mother's blessing back. You know, something which represents for you the divine. So... But, you know, if you go strictly by medical norms, it's very unhygienic. You're passing germs. Everywhere you're seeing germs. Life <laughs> <laughs> patterns are not, no more blessings. They are carrier of germs. So sometimes you don't know whether to declare or not. You know, when you're coming, so they ask you, are you getting any life products, etc. So you don't know whether you should declare or you shouldn't declare that you're carrying a blessing packet which contains some dried flowers. Of course, one doesn't. Or, you know, one gets into hassles. But the fact is that it's a whole worldview which needs to change and uh, one must bring this worldview, it will come through a pressure of human consciousness which would want such things. Mm -hmm. That look, I want this. I want a nice, beautiful music of my choice which I would give to be played in the environment in which the mother is, uh, you know, baby is being delivered and in which the baby is being brought. So if many people demand it, I think uh, slowly the change will come about. So this whole concept of like, you know, when they say the water birth, like having a child in water, because yeah. the child is, is in the amniotic sac and it's yeah. nice to come out into water, yeah. is really beneficial? Uh, this, yeah, people have uh, done studies on that and they say it is better because it doesn't get the direct shock and it's, but that's one part of it, that is, mm -hmm. you know, one can look at it both ways. Mm -hmm. But the trauma of birth is not uh, so-called trauma. It's not. 
this question was asked to mother that uh, is it a moment of great suffering she said no it's not true the cry of the child is because the life force suddenly rushes inside the body and soulment takes place much later though in rare cases from third month a soul may reside over so from third month suddenly not before that the little baby which is being formed in the womb um a psychic being can be attracted and begin to kind of preside over it its formation but that is rare and that's why perhaps you know even if you see nature most of the malformed babies get spontaneously aborted before third month and even legally third month you know before third month it's legal to abort so if you really look at it it has a deep spiritual basis उटियसनेसमीसोन Second is that any uh, process of birth, it's a great mystery. In the ancient uh, tradition, you, birth is regarded as the self-limitation of the spirit. That is the literal meaning of the word birth. If you take, it's called aj, and it is the spirit which limits itself in a body and mind. So it's not the birth of a body. So from that point of view, the body which is born. has to adapt adapt to the life force has to adapt to the immediate environment has to adapt to the mental atmosphere and has to be adapted or adaptable to the spiritual consciousness which will use it as its instrument or vehicle so things can go wrong at any of the levels but the most common uh, time when they can go wrong is when the life force is adapting with the physical it's not an easy thing we take it for granted we take it natural but uh, things can go wrong and that's why you know infant mortality is one of the biggest issues because in the first one year it is just the life force which is adapting so proneness to infections and all this is part of the story i mean all said and done birth and growth on earth is a is a you know adventure and this adventure can turn into a misadventure at any point of time so one has to provide that extra care in the first year to see that the baby has the right kind of not only environment but immunity and all like breastfeeding nowadays uh, it is you know we are back to that cycle that we should recommend breastfeeding one reason is because babies who are breastfed they have a very good immune system because iga antibodies and you know things they can pass on only from the mother's milk there is no other source so you know uh, one has to make sure that the life force is also securely established after that things are easier so first one year is a crucial but as i said there are many factors at play just as in death there are many factors at play and what has happened in a particular case is very difficult to see um there are many I, like new mothers expectant mothers no questions <laughs> but 
for children, I think they can have food and all, and those who are and expected mothers who will be hungry in the city. Because uh, just feel free. I mean, as I said, it's a very informal thing. So don't wait for anything to be officially over. It may not get over for the next three years. So please, I think, you know, we can just. Yes, go in. Ron, I appreciate that. And I like it. Beware of strangers at a very young age. Is that a form of introducing fear to them? Certainly. If not, then what's the alternative? Trust is the thing to be taught. You know, fear, strangers, and this kind of a thing is not at all good. Okay, as they develop, you can, you know, they must get a sense of what could be wrong. You know, even children have an innate sense of what is called as a good touch and a bad touch. And it's a very sad thing that many parents don't listen to it. I mean, I have had instances of uh, frank uh, sexual abuse in children. I'm not talking of the stories, but actual things where children felt that the teacher to whom I was going was not touching me in the right way and parents didn't believe it. So instead of teaching fear of stranger, which is not the right thing, but the sense of the good and the sense of the evil, that will cover everything. So there is a good touch which makes you feel good and there is a bad touch. Now children have it. And it can be developed also. And you can teach, you know, to a child as he grows through different stages of evolution. Maybe you can talk to the child. That look why, you know, it's one should generally have trust in everybody. But, uh, you know, sometimes if you feel something is amiss or you feel some kind of a shrinking or not good about something, let's talk about it and be a little cautious about it. And I guess if you are not giving chocolates to the child, nobody can attack them with chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, these fellows find weird ways in things. One question. Today's uh, time, uh, like kids are always, uh, both parents are working. And kids are always given out to like schools or whatever. Uh, much earlier in Is that a good thing or is that? Um, see, uh, both parents working will be there because it is part of the evolutionary curve now. Uh, but certainly it's not good for children to be brought up by maid servants and to be just kept in any kind of crash. So it is uh, very interesting that it is only in human beings that nature has provided what is called as a two-generation parenting. and even double parenting, nowhere else. So what is important is that children must know the that their mother is there, that feeling of, you know, who loves and cares and the father is there who is there to protect and to help you grow. They must know that, that security they should have. And uh, it's very good if uh, if the grandparents, though whatever people say, they spoil and <laughs> all that thing, but uh, let's not forget, they are also very wise people. They have learned from their mistakes. If you ask any parent past 60, they will say, if I had to bring up the child now, I will bring him very different ways. <laughs> but you know, they have gone through that stage. So, it's, it's good if the grandparents can do that. As to school, uh, I mean, it all depends. Certainly, 
a kind of two and a half year old baby carrying a bag and all is definitely the most horrible thing. But I wish there were more schools like uh, Ashram school where though you go at three, you never carry a bag even till you are you know 30. <laughs> you, you just go, you have fun and you play. So schools are coming up like that and this is a problem which is very difficult and complex because it's a social problem. And we can't change society so easily. It's only by growing pressure from the parents. If they say we don't want that kind of stuff, that change it. So suddenly, that, but that reminds me of one thing very important. The language with which we communicate with each other. Uh, ideally, it should be the mother tongue. And uh, if you want to communicate only in, uh, say, English in present context, then keep it at that. Because uh, in mother tongue, the beauty is that uh, we express our emotions best in mother tongue. Cannot really express in any other language. It's one of the difficulties of human nature, and uh, we must respect that. And apart from that, each mother tongue has its own subtle nuances, which are very useful. So, if we talk to the child a lot and talk in preferably one language, ideal is mother tongue, but at least in one language. And especially if you expose the child to a language like Sanskrit, something very beautiful. But if you cannot do that, at least take one language so the child is not confused. Don't worry, he will pick up the other language. Shobindo was uh, picked up Bengali at 21. So don't worry if he has, if you want to take English because you know that's the language of conversation. Fine, no problem. But then he, the child gets a little confused. So that's a little difficult doctrine I know. Hard to practice since we are at it. And don't worry about teaching A, B, C, D, and. Okay? Thank you. Thank you a lot.